0: On Today with Jeff Vines, we're looking back at a series called The Story. In this episode, Pastor Jeff journeys through major events and key figures found in the New Testament.
1: Today, 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 with Jeff Vines, we are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
0: Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Hello, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill, and we're continuing through the Bible's major events. Pastor Jeff is in Luke chapter 23, looking at Joseph of Arimathea, the man who laid Jesus' body to rest in his tomb. Luke was not a disciple, but rather a historian. So let's take a look at this more historical account of events in Luke 23. This is today with Jeff Vines.
1: here's the problem with Jesus' death on the cross. It was incredibly inconvenient because it's Sabbath day. Once the sun goes down, Sabbath begins. There's no work. They're not able to do it. So Joseph and the bunch of guys do what most guys would do. They just throw the body on the tomb, tie it with some duct tape and get out of town. (laughs) I'm sorry. And they think we're going to come back later. In fact, the Bible says it was preparation day. I'm in verse 54. It's preparation day, which means you have to do whatever you need to get done before the sun goes down. So the guys just do a sloppy job somehow. We don't know exactly what they did, but I'm sure they had duct tape then too. And they just go out of the tomb and they go back to the festivities and they're going to wait now till the Sabbath is over to come back and finish the job. Now the Bible says, this is very interesting, and I'm in verse 55, that the women traveled with Joseph of Arimathea and they saw the tomb and they saw, look in the text, how his body was laid and they're not happy about it. So I don't know what they said exactly. Something like probably, girlfriends, this ain't right. (laughs) And they decide that there's not enough time to do it properly. And the Bible tells us that they're going to go home and prepare spices, honor the Sabbath, and then come back to the tomb. So they go home and they're sad, but they know they can't do anything. So they got to sit there all through the Sabbath, knowing that Jesus has not been given a proper burial, which is very important 1st century culture and even still today. And then the Bible says... When the Sabbath is over, and actually I'm in Luke 24 now, verse one, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, very early in the morning, the Greek is as soon as they saw the sun. As long as it's dark, the Sabbath is still in operation. As soon as first light comes though, the Sabbath is over. You can work. They prepare their spices. They go back to the tomb. Now on their way to the tomb, what do you think they were expecting to see? Body. I mean, think about it. In in their culture, when somebody died, they stayed dead. Wait a minute. In every culture, if somebody dies, they stay dead. So they go back expecting to see a dead body. And the Bible says that they took their spices, they prepared, and they went to the tomb. The reason they're going to the tomb is to find the dead body and to finish a proper burial. But then verse two says that they found the stone rolled away. Now, the way it's written in the original language is not simply that the stone was, uh, the seal was broken and it was rolled back up and wedged into place. The the original language, if I could just have a little liberty here to, to illustrate it as best I can. The original language says more like this. The stone was picked up and thrown like a Frisbee into the forest. Okay, it's like that. Now, obviously, Frisbee is not in the Greek language, but you know what I'm saying. It's not saying it was just rolled back up. It was rolled away. It was thrown away as if somebody picked it up. Somebody with incredible human strength and threw it away. And maybe it's because the writer's trying to tell us that there's something supernatural that is happening. They didn't have cranes in the first century, so something happens to the stone And then it says the women entered and they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And I love this next line, verse four, while they were wondering about this. So they've come. They're going to give Jesus a proper burial. They see the stone thrown out. The seal's been broken. They can't figure it out. And they just stand there wondering, mesmerized. Not once did one of them say, he has risen. We knew this was going to happen. Woo! If it's legend they knew it. But this is not legend. This is history. They had no idea. And then the Bible says, they're looking around. And just as they're loaded down with the spices, wondering what happened, these two men in clothes show up. Look in the text. that gleamed like lightning and stood before them. It says, the women bowed down, their faces to the ground. And I love it. The men, the angel said to the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? I love that line. You know why I like it? Because if I would have been the women, I would have said, well, we're not looking for the living among the dead. We're looking for the dead among the dead. (laughs) The guy we're looking for is dead. D-E-A-D, dead. And you don't come back from that. What do you think? We're just carrying these spices for nothing. He's dead. And finally, the angel says, look, let me tell it to you plainly. He's not here. He's risen. J-E-S-U-S has R-I-S-E-N. You got it? And I want to look, you know, did the... The angels say something like, hey, if it appears like somebody picked up the stone and threw it away like a frisbee, it's because somebody picked up the stone and threw it away like a frisbee. And if it appears there's no one in the tomb, that's because there's nobody in the tomb. He is risen. Now, let me just pause one more time here. Uh, I'm glad some, some of you find this humor. I find it incredibly humor. Some of you are just like, why didn't the women get it? I mean, it's not like Jesus didn't say it. Have you read the gospels? He says it over and over again. I'll be crucified but I'll raise again on the third day. I'll rise again on the third day. I'll be crucified in the hands of sinful men. but don't worry, I'll, be, I'll rise again on the third day. Oh, by the way, tear down this temple in three days and destroy it and I will rebuild it in three days. Well, why didn't they get it? Here's why. It's the same dynamic that takes place in my house every week. It, again, it's called selective hearing. It's when you say something as the father and the leader of the home and nobody really wants to hear it, so they just kind of ignore you. It's like when my daughter Sian came to me when she was about eight years old and said, dad, I want a dog. I said, no, you don't have any idea what it takes to keep a dog. How long do you think it was before we had a dog? What, 24, 48 hours we had a dog. Okay, okay, we can have a dog, but the dog stays outside. I want that dog in my house. How long do you think it was before the dog came in the house? 24, 48 hours, he's in the laundry room. Okay, okay, okay. The dog can stay in the laundry room, but nowhere else. He cannot come up the stairs. 24, 48 hours, the dog's coming up the stairs. Okay, okay. The dog can stay in the kitchen, but not in my living room. I come home one day, he's on the living room, on the couch watching TV with Sion. Okay, okay. The dog can come in the living room, but that dog cannot come in my bedroom. Never in my bedroom. 48 hours later, the dog's in my bedroom. Okay, okay. He can come in the bedroom, but he can't get on my bed. That's the last piece of property that I own. Two days later, I come home. Milo's watching TV with Robin on the bed. (laughs) Okay, but he can't get in my car. <laughs> a couple days later, he's in the car. What, what's happening? It's a dynamic where when you say something to your family that they don't want to hear, la, 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 I'm not listening. And every time Jesus talked about that he was going to die, they believed Jesus to be the Messiah and the disciples were like, la, 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 I'm not listening, I don't want to hear this. And they just ignored it. They thought, surely we misunderstand. I mean, he does speak in parables. Jesus tries on numerous occasions to convince them, I'm going to die and I'm going to be delivered in the hands of sinful men, but don't worry, I'm going to rise again on the third day. He even tells them at the Passover feast in which Peter responds by saying this, never. And he rebuked Jesus. Peter rebuked Jesus. He said, don't say it again. I don't want to hear you talk like that. Not on my watch, that's not going to happen. Not on my watch. And Jesus says what? Get thee behind me, Satan. They just didn't get it. But finally, the women do. This is what I also like about the account. In the first century, women were not allowed to testify in court because they were looked at as secondary people. Imagine, Jesus changed all that. I keep telling you, I keep telling you, Jesus changed all that. Jesus changed all that. The Christians changed all that. But it's the women who discover the empty tomb. I love it. If you're writing legend, you'd never do this. And what do they do? They go back and they tell the disciples and they know where to find them because they're all hiding. And they tell them what they had seen. I'm in verse nine now. It says they came back and told the 11, Judas has gone out and hanged himself out of regret and remorse, I'm assuming. And now verse 10 is very much a historical verse. Now remember folks, these letters that I'm reading to you are not only meant for you, but these letters began to circulate throughout the land and times of Jesus within the same generation that they happened. That's important because Luke keeps recording events that you can go and test. So he gives us the names of the people who were there. It was Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told the apostles this. That's so that when you read this, you can go back and see those people in the town that they live in and say, hey, did this really happen? But they seemed, rather, they did not believe the Bible says the women because what they were talking about seemed to be nonsense to them. They had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. So if you raise a guy from the dead, you can come back yourself. But it seemed like nonsense because they didn't get it. To them, the case was closed. The game was over. It was the end of the story. And then the Bible, stay with me. The Bible says that Peter, something came over him and he just started running to the tomb. And Peter and John both are running and one outruns the other. Peter gets there. When he gets there, what he finds is no stone, no body, No undercloth, all he finds is the strips of linen. There's a whole sermon in that that we can't do now. But this is all he finds. And still, the Bible says he ponders to himself, gee, I wonder what happened. He's just like the women. Nobody's expecting a resurrection. There are no heroes here. They're just wondering what on earth could have happened. And then somewhere along the line, now stay with me, please, almost over. have you? Stay with me. Somewhere along the line, Peter gets it. He thinks, wow, Jesus did say that he would be crucified and that he would rise again. He did it in metaphor through the temple, but he also did it in clear language. I will be handed over to sinful men and be crucified, but I will rise again on the third day. And all of a sudden it dawns on Peter, Jesus is Lord over everything even death. And it changes Peter from the inside out. He is transformed from a spiritual wimp, hiding out, afraid, to a spiritual muscle man. Because do you know what Peter does next? And this is what really inspires historians who study this kind of thing. The next scene, Peter goes to the very steps of the establishment that crucified Jesus And preaches the gospel. Oh, man. I mean, they just killed Jesus. Something happened inside him to make him so brave. Man, Jesus owns death. Why am I afraid of it? And he goes and he preaches the gospel. He gets called in by the Sanhedrin. Same people who sent Jesus to Pilate. And then he gets called in by Pilate's people. And they both say the same thing. Dude, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're going to kill you. You know what Peter says? do what you got to do. Because I cannot stop talking about the things I've seen and heard. So scholars look at this, historians, and they say, wait a minute. There are too many things going on here that suggest there's too much circumstantial evidence when placed with the objective evidence. There's too much here to deny a resurrection. is fanatical and fantastical as it seems. Of course, once you believe in God, a resurrection is not that difficult, is it? What do they look at, Jeff? Well, they look at things like this. Do you know how badly the Romans wanted to snuff out Christianity? They're gonna persecute the Christians and kill them. They're gonna saw them in two. They're gonna crucify them. They're gonna to torture them. They're gonna burn them alive. They're gonna do this for hundreds of years. They wanted to snuff out Christianity so bad because they were so afraid of it. All they would have had to done is take the body of Jesus, the dead body of Jesus, and wheel it on a cart downtown Jerusalem and said, yeah, here's your resurrected Jesus. Do you know there are no Jewish nor Roman polemic sources that deny an empty tomb, not one. And the problem is when scholars look at it, the reasons that are given for the empty tomb make no sense other than a resurrection. Well, the disciples stole the body. These are a bunch of cowards, man, they're hiding. Jesus didn't really die on the cross, but the Romans were professionals at execution. He just got really tired. How does a guy that's been scourged and really tired lead a movement that changes the world? If he didn't die, he was really sick. He, he never really died on the cross. Somebody died in his place, or, or, and he went to uh, India and married. I'm serious about that. So the, 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 the reasons are like, really? Why are you ludicrous? 15,000 Jews. 15,000 Jews. Almost days after Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to the 500, 15,000 Jews leave all their roots and all their traditions. I mean, you got to know the Jewish culture steeped in tradition. They leave it all. 15,000 leave almost overnight, stop worshiping and go into the tabernacle of the temple on Sabbath, and they start meeting in groups on the first day of the week because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. And by the time John writes the book of Revelation in 70 AD, he uses the term, the Lord's day. It's already been accepted as the day in which Christians gather because it's the day on which Jesus rose from the dead. And if you ever wondered why you meet on Sunday rather than Saturday, that's it. It's the Lord's day, Sunday, first day of the week. There's just too many things that occur. Christianity sweeps the empire because of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, the disciples are not going to die a death of martyrdom. Think about it. That means that the disciples would have died for a lie. People die for a lie all the time, but not if they know it's a lie. If you know it's a lie, right about the time they're about to saw you in two, oh, I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm just kidding. I don't believe in the resurrection. It's just all a story. You got it? But if you know it's the truth, and we know historically speaking, again, this isn't eerie, fairy, fairy land. This is oral tradition. This is history. That all 11 of those disciples refused to recant and they're going to die a martyrdom's death. Horrible deaths. It's not legend. It's fact. It's reality.
0: <coughs>
1: we know Matthew was slain with a halberd in the city of Natabod, Ethiopia. It just goes on and on. And so people who are wise look at these historical accounts and think, man, the only thing that makes any sense here is that the resurrection is real. Now, so what? So what? It's real. If it's real, everything changes. Everything changes. What God, what Jesus taught is true. What he said about your life, what he said about your death, what he said about your pain, what he said about your suffering, what he said about your future what he said about the way you should live, what he said about peace and anxiety and fear, it's all true. But there are two things I want you at least to admit before you walk out of this place, no matter what side of the fence you're on, if Jesus really did come back from the dead, that means heaven is real. And that place that you know down deep inside exists, he's the one that walks you in because he's the only one that's been there and come back. Which means that anything you lose in this life, any person that you lose, the separation is only temporary. There will be the great reunion. And when my mom died, yes, she died, but I will see her again. And my father died, and I will see him again. And my wife and I lost our first child in Africa in a car accident. I will see him again. And that family out at Etowanda that lost their 11 year old son this week, who was hit by a driver as he was walking home from school. Imagine what that's. They're members of our church in Etowanda. If Jesus came back from the dead, this is not the last they've seen of him. There will be the reunion and the reunion will be so intense that their time here on earth will seem like a little blimp on the screen of eternity. And when you're with God, your five billionth year with five billionth more to go and beyond, you'll realize that this life here was so short and it was all a test of allegiance. Will you build Christ's kingdom or will you build your own? That's why the apostle Paul said, we mourn, but we don't mourn as if we have no hope. He says, the dead in Christ will rise first. First of the four fifteen. Oh, they'll come first. My mom, my dad, my son. And then we who are alive, we who are remaining will be caught up in the air to meet him. In the clouds, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, he says to comfort one another with these words. Job said, I know my Redeemer lives, man. I don't know how all this pain is up, but I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he's going to stand on this earth. And I'm going to stand right beside him. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And Paul said, if God did not spare us his own son, will he not freely give us all good things? And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And though you live, though you die, yet you will live. And the apostle Paul said, I consider that the present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us that no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard what God has prepared for those who love him. If Jesus came back from the dead, you've got nothing to be afraid of because your biggest fear has already been Remedied, You will live forever. And everyone that you've lost, you will see again. And there will be a great reunion. And there will be no more crying, no suffering, no mourning, nor pain. If Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, we're all playing a game we cannot win. But if he did come back from the dead, we're playing a game we cannot lose. And we will gain it for all eternity. Amen. But, but if heaven is real... If Jesus came back from the dead and heaven is real, that also means hell is real. Oh, yeah. And the applause ceases. <laughs> because Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. And he told us, as he used metaphors and symbols, ultimately hell is separation from God. And ultimately hell is the ultimate ramification of your free will decision. God gives you just enough information to seek him that you may find him, but not too much to override your freedom. You decide. You decide. Because God is interested in divine romance. He wants to be sought in a way a woman wants to be sought her hand in marriage. God wants to be sought for intimacy and community. And the more you seek God, the more you learn, the more you discover. But God is not going to force himself on anyone. And God says, if you live your whole life and you say, I really don't want, to, I really don't want God involved, I want one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom, just in case. God says, you're either in or you're either out. You're either for me or you're against me. And the Bible says that death and Hades are gonna be cast into the lake of fire and that anyone's name not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire with it. See, I wanna believe in a little fire. Okay, fine. You don't have to believe in a literal fire. Just remember though, every time Jesus uses metaphors or signs and symbols, the reality of which is far more intense than the symbol could ever communicate. So if it's not fire, it's worse. And what is worse is divine separation. Because when God withdraws his presence, there could be no good thing. You say, well, now here's where it gets tricky. By the way, uh, you know you're no exception to that. (laughs) Well, I'm just going to say to God, I did the best I could while I had. (laughs) He'll understand. That's because you don't understand the holiness of God. You think it's all about how good you are and how hard you tried. You're still arrogant. You're still arrogant enough to think that your holiness can measure up to God's. (laughs) Because the way into the kingdom is through a low door of Humility that you know you cannot do what needs to be done. So Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. You say, well, man, how do I get my name into the book of life? Jesus said, confess me before men, I'll confess you before the father. Oh, I've done that. Have you? Do you know what that means? You say, well, I believe that Jesus was a historical man and I believe that he died on the cross and I believe he resurrected. Well, good for you. So do the demons. (laughs) The Bible says the demons believe. That Greek word pistis for belief, see, you you think it's just intellectual assent. Not good enough. It's not. The kind of belief the Bible talks about is the belief that says, you know what, I believe so much that Jesus is Lord of this universe, I'm gonna make him Lord of my life. And so when Jesus goes to Peter in John 21 to restore him, he says, Peter, do you love me more than anything else? You can have other loves, but do you love me more than anything else? Will you sacrifice anything I ask you to give up and will you follow me wherever I go? If you can say yes, you're in. You may not be perfect and you may fail. And you're only saved by the blood of Jesus and nothing else. But those people who are saved by the blood of Jesus and really get that they're saved by grace, there is a natural result of transformation that happens because the spirit of God comes in to transform you, that changes not only what you do, but what you want to do. And if you're still autonomous and you're still making your own decisions and you still are living life, you may confess intellectually that you believe Jesus, that you believe the crucifixion and resurrection, but he's not become the Lord and savior of your life. And if he's not the Lord and Savior of your life, your name is not written in the book of life. But if he's the Lord and Savior of your life, you may be per- not be perfect and you may fail, just like everybody else. We're all sinners in this room. But your will is to live for God. And if your will is to live for God and to give up your rights and give them to him and to give up your life and to give it to him and to follow him, if that's your decision, your name is written in the book of life and God has no eraser. <laughs> You're in. No matter how many times you fail, you're in. It's a matter of the will. So Peter gets it. What does Peter do? He starts preaching. People leave the cafes and school and their places of business. They come out and he talks louder and louder. And he tells them the story. And then he says to them, repent. And they say, what do we do? He says, repent and do what? Come on, Acts two thirty-seven, 36, 7, and 8. Repent and... Be baptized. Repent and be be... Now, why would he do that? What's up with baptism? Because this became the symbol of the resurrection. If Jesus died for you, nothing changes. But if he died and rose from the dead, everything changes. Because if he rose from the dead, that means everything he said about you is true. There's a gap between you and God that only he can bridge. And it means that if you confess him before men, he'll confess you before the father. And baptism became the way that you identified with the resurrection of Jesus. You died to your old way, you're resurrected anew. Romans 6 says that as many of us who have been baptized into Christ, we put on Christ, there is a newness of life. Is that you?
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this just search for today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me wanna taste and sing with every single red I bring I will bring this up You are my wonder you with the wonder Today, 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 today with Jeff Vines.